So this book, it creeps. Does it sweep and bleep? I, I would say all of the above. Because it definitely, it definitely just, it starts off in this very um, low stakes, sort of like almost, almost kitchen sink realism-esque start. And then it kind of, it really builds and builds and the pre- that pressure, I don't know. I, I feel like that, that, that is a central, that a central metaphor there is that, that, uh, that, the, the boiler yeah so welcome to the sad boys book club my name's dusty and i'm daniel final part of the shining it creeps yep um yeah so we're done uh thank you everybody for listening uh to our shining episodes i know i've made this joke before but i'm gonna do it again because i have no taste um this was the shining and i'm glad you could join us and i'll see you next time but yeah, it's I I really liked this book. Um, I th- there's there's some things that um, I probably would have in in his in his shoes maybe done slightly differently, but like on the whole, it's really really good book, very solid. Um, so I was very shocked. very enjoyable. So I was shocked that um, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy was a Kubrick thing exclusively yeah it does kind of seem especially because it has that sort of like homespun americanism thing that is kind of that is kind of a hallmark of his writing yeah that i feel i feel like it, it should it could have fit in there yeah we we haven't he, he kind of just left the play behind completely really with the scrapbook and it just kind of never popped up in in part five so I mean, whatever. It it was no longer relevant to the plot or his character arc. So, it's it's whatever. But you know, just in the back of my mind, I was expecting Wendy to find the, the the manuscript and have the horror of the realization of him typing that the whole time. But yeah, that was just a movie thing. So that was a bit of a shocker. But I'm okay with it. It's it's whatever. It works as a movie thing, and it's fine not being in the book. Yeah. I guess I guess before we we dive too, because I think we both we both are have these little things that we're wanting to talk about the scent, the metaphors and the 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 little things that appear. How how do you like off the top? How do you feel? How did you feel about this book? Well, um, I can't say it's my favorite King, which is fine because it's just you know the best of the best of his work is really just kind of a murder uh, a murderer's row of some of the greatest thriller horror whatever genre you want to peg them in uh books written so it's i'd say the shining is one of those books for certain uh it's not my favorite king book but i think i would put it just behind i don't know actually i i, I don't want to say anything too too absolute um I, 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 especially since it's still so fresh for me, I just finished reading it like 20 minutes ago. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was great. It was up to the quality standard that I expect from Stephen King. So, yeah, does, uh, yeah, I, I really quite enjoyed it as well. Um, 
I, definitely some <laughs> some maybe questionable choices, but uh, in some instances, but by and large, um, very good book. Um, really solid story. Uh, really arresting uh, plot. You know where you're you're going along. Um, pretty well fleshed out characters. A few a few you know as again there's a few. This is that's where some of the missteps are, but by and large really good especially when you, you you think about that sort of core family unit i think that they were all uh very very well realized characters um i think that's something that that he shines at um huh. Huh. he he really shines at uh especially at this stage of his life because you know when you, you take into the account um you know the, the of his own life that that's kind of where he was as a person you know as a as a father um, you know, with with young, relatively young children, you know, I think I think that he does a really good job then of of uh, capturing that. Yes. Um, yeah, there were a couple of, I guess I don't want to say missteps. There were just a few things that I kind of wish we got more of, and this is just me being a reader who so thoroughly enjoyed the book that I just wanted more out of it. It's not so much a, a strike on it. It's just the, man, it'd be cool if I had this many more pages so I could just stay in this world. Like, mm-hmm. I, I could have gone with a little more of, like, the consequences of the ending instead of just getting the epilogue, which was very good. I thought the epilogue was, was very, very well done, and I liked it a lot. But, you know, there's just always those kind of lingering questions... Um, without going too deep into to the, the actual plot yet. Um, things like, how did Shockley react to the situation? How did Ullman react to the situation? Um, what was the kind of ripple effect of the ending? You know, those kind of things that I'm really curious about. The book did not need to cover it, so it didn't. Because the book was always about the, the Torrance family. And so mm-hmm. it stayed within the confines of the Torrance family. It's just kind of one of those things where, like I said, you're a reader that's so invested in the world that you just kind of want to just have you want to have all these questions that you might have answered because it's just your own little personal interest but it does not have any bearing on the story itself it's just you being so fascinated with the the world that the author creates you know what i mean yeah i mean and, and you can pretty well guess though what, what the, their two reactions would be something along the lines of oh my god no no ah my life is ruined now ah something like that pretty yeah. much Shockley was probably just like ah damn it ah <laughs> pretty much pretty much like okay well i guess i have to buy a different hotel yeah but fortunately i i, I or i maybe not fortunately necessarily but uh all i'm gonna say is i really hope he was uh current on his insurance payments yeah so getting started, um, we are in Florida with Dick Halloran, who is enjoying his winter in a much more tropical clime, away from the harsh winters of Colorado and the Overlook. And you know, we 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 have this section where we're kind of going about his day to day. He's doing a delivery for food at the the restaurant that he works. Or no, no, it's yeah, he works. He works at a restaurant, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's picking up the uh, he's picking up the 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 um the fruits and vegetables. Yeah, 
uh, having a little, a, a fun little back and forth with uh, an old friend of his that at first I thought it was him just insulting some random guy and then the guy insulting him back, but no, it's just their little, their little banter, and that was fun. We get a little bit of Dick's life in Florida, but then, like all good things, it ends with a shine, the, the shout that Danny had launched out to Dick in the previous part comes crashing into him as he's driving down the highway which is like the worst possible time for that he almost gets into an accident thankfully the other motorist um is evasive enough but uh yeah (laughs) can i really quickly also talk about man i understand but gee how I, I hate this in 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 movies or books or whatever it is whatever whatever media form it is where you have the character and they go to some sort of food place food store and they place an order and then they leave before they get their order <laughs> and this happens because <laughs> Dick pulls off into some uh, into an A and W stand and he orders a root beer float. And then just leaves because he's like, because that was him trying to calm down from the shine, and he's he's like kind of he's realizing what's going on, and he's like, oh god, I gotta go help Danny. He needs my help, and he just kind of peels out to start like you know heading on to, to to take care of business, and then the the woman was there just like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was I was I mean I understand I definitely understand his his. Uh... <laughs> his hurry there but i was like man that root beer float sounds really good actually i know two scoops of vanilla i was like hell yeah man sign me up but yeah that's just kind of one of my minor like it makes sense it absolutely makes sense but it's just it's that little thing that kind of irks me regardless of whether or not it, it it makes sense within the story of of people just going to a place ordering food or something and then just leaving i think you know and this is this is my my theory here is that it's it's like a a cheat code to really encode to the to the readers like they were really in a hurry they were like freaking out because it just especially especially to an american i mean americans we we love our treats we love our treats folks um so he you know just to to really nail that that urgency to really communicate that this is this is something that was really really important um I think that's essentially what they're trying to do. Is it? It, it tries to, in in a, con, in a almost a converse way, like like you you go into this area, you know, you, something something that's that's typically more associated with leisure and the sort of subversion of that into like this hurry. It's like I can't even stop for this, you know. I I think it, it does. It, it's it's supposed to impart this feeling of of uh, rushedness because you know. For that very, for the very reason you mentioned it is because we don't like it seems I don't want to say disrespectful but almost just antithetical to to just to to most people's rhythms of life that they're just like speeding away after with without receiving the food that they purchased you know yeah which speaking of treats I can't believe I forgot to mention this here at the at the start um, happy Halloween Daniel this is our Halloween episode. Oh yes, yes. On this most most cursed of evenings, um, uh, doing the Halloween special. 
Yes, doing it the only way we know how, with a with a roke mallet and a thirst for murder. Uh, I, I I think it would be better if, if we had a thirst for A and W root beer. Personally, that's our new sponsor. Um, Coca Cola <laughs> has has abandoned us, and so uh, now A and W root beer, the only root beer worth drinking, and the only restaurant worth going to. Um. I did not agree go to, to this. all five. Only go to. You can only go to all five A and W stands that remain throughout the country. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's a stand, but it's an actual like you know building. But there is an A and W uh, like two miles away from me. Oh uh, really? Yeah, it's uh, not bad. This region of the country, they're basically dead. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I I've only been to one, only once in my life, um, in New Mexico. So um, I don't I don't remember where, but that's 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 literally the only time I've ever seen one. Yeah. So I didn't agree to this endorsement, and um, you know I I don't I I'm gonna I'm gonna say something controversial. A uh, and W is trash tier root beer. Like if you're drinking A and W, uh, you either have no other options, and it's either drink that or die, or you have the worst taste in in root flavored cola. Uh, A&W is trash. The only thing worse than it is mug. Well, I mean, come on. That's a pretty big drop-off, though. That's, like, that's, like, the the same level of drop-off from, like, would I rather drink a glass of milk or would I rather drink bleach? Yeah. Uh, and before you ask, yes, I am drinking a Coke right now. This is the Treat Boys podcast um today we're arguing what is the best soda it's coke it's always coke um and i'm not kidding i am i am drinking a coke right now it is like my (laughs) it's my ritual at this point i always have a coke when we record and i'm drinking a coke right now (laughs) i mean uh, uh my last my last thought because i i i have derailed us here um i i really think the a and w if you get the a and w from the the restaurant then it's really good especially when they get like they have like a tap kind of deal that then it's really good um but like you know off the shelf in the two liter bottle and okay we're i'm gonna i'm gonna destroy our sponsorship here barks is what you're looking for Uh, if you're doing like big mass market and you're looking for root beer at the grocery store that's that's the move owned by coca-cola company by the way Oh really? <laughs> yeah, uh, but if you really want the highest quality root beer, for my money, I would say it's either uh, Sprecher's or IBC. I mean that's fair, but you know I'm, I'm thinking like mass market. That's the waters that like A and W and Mug are swimming in. You know? Yeah, my go to would be Barks in that regard. A um, and W is good though. I, I do like their burgers. They have pretty good cheese curds as well. Better than Culver's. Fight me. All you Midwesterners, fight me. Maybe it's just my local Culver's. My local Culver's is ass. Their cheese curds are soggy and not very tasteful. A&W has better ones. But if you want the best cheese curds, go to Cousins. Cousins has the best. (laughs) You heard it here. Cousins, please sponsor me. I have like 2,000 rewards points. I would like to have more. (laughs) Once again, this is the Treat Boys Podcast. But to pay the bills of the Treat Boys podcast, occasionally we have to uh, support it with our other podcast, uh, the Sad Boys Book Club. Yes, 
So Halloran uh, goes to his job, which I guess it's some bookie that he works for. And he's like, I don't think so. I, I think he worked at he worked at like a restaurant. Yeah, but he goes to the he goes to the the horse track where the people are betting, and he goes to the guy. He's like, hey, I'm gonna need three days off. They serve food at like I think it's at, I think it's like at a resort type situation. Yeah, maybe. But I, I either way, the guy he talked to was some sort of bookie. Well, yeah, that was that was true. He was taking bets. Um, yeah, so he's like, hey, I need three days off. My son was shot. And the dude's like, I can't let you leave. That's, that's too sudden. Oh, your son was shot? Okay. Have have the three days. I hope everything goes well. And it goes kind of kind of smoothly. And I just, I love how how good of an actor Dick is. He, he really plays this off. He's leaving. And he just starts cracking up about his own little wit. And then he gets hit with another shine as a little bit of uh, just desserts for that. But yeah, um... Then it's Dick Halloran getting to the airport, uh, and I, I was I was really waiting for today so I could ask you about this. What the hell was up with the cop that pulled him over outside of the airport? What was that about? I don't understand that. The when he gives him his license and he's like, "Oh yeah, you'll be great at my at the party, the blow up balloon animals." Like like what? What was that about? Um, is it? I, I'm trying to remember because I read that pretty early on in the week. Is he was talking about balloon animals? I, I I don't remember exactly if it was that or not. But yeah, it's when he, he so he, like he has the flight. He called in the flight. He had half an hour to get there. He gets pulled over like just a mile or so away from the airport, and the cops just like, oh, I've heard every story. Your your kid's sick. Uh, you're going to a funeral. Yada yada yada. What is it this time? Don't even bother telling me. Just give me your license and Halloran gives him his license and then the cops basically just i thought he was going to arrest him or something i was like what what is happening the cop was being so just like what an asshole like i swear that cop's name was like officer torrance or something like jesus yeah well i mean but I was so confused. It's it was the it was the late seventies, you know, and and uh, Halloran was a black man, so yeah. I, I I think and that's that's one of the things that kind of happen a little bit down the the last part of this book that um, in some ways I think goes a little f- like beyond the level of good taste <laughs> is like um, my God the, the number of... of hard R's in this book in part five. Yeah, kind of, I'm, I'm, that, that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. I would say pretty un, unnecessary. Um, it pretty, it's pretty. It's not very cash money. I, I, I don't necessarily always feel like I should or be the try to be the the litigator of morality and story or whatever. I, I think some people they they kind of go they kind of kind of fall off the 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 beam of like depiction what 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 is depiction and what is endorsement um but this is this is this is too much um there was there was just too much here uh maybe maybe the i don't know i i i can i can i can't really guess that it's it's kind of crossed the the from what what would be good taste and almost was used played for shock value and uh, I, I personally didn't care for that yeah. much. Yeah. Do I think Stephen King is a racist? 
No. Do I think Stephen King was a racist in 1977? I hope not. But, I mean, Jesus. I, I, I understand, I think, I hope, maybe, why... Because, I mean, you know, a lot of it, a lot of a lot of the language usage in this final part um, is directed at Halloran from, we'll just say, evil forces. So, like, you know, it doesn't surprise me that the ethere ethereal evil that is the, the Overlook is going to call Halloran the N-word. That does not shock me. But, like, my god. <laughs> I think I, I saw it, like, five times in one page at one point. And I'm like, Steven, my man, I get it. But, like, my my god. This is a, this is a lot. This is, like, this is like Django Unchained a lot. Yeah, it's, um... Yeah, and, and that, even without the... And without even the context that... Not that it necessarily would make it okay, but like you know, it just, it just, I don't know. It just there's just the I, I guess the what you can say is at least it's depicted as morally reprehensible, um, because it is like an entity of evil, uh, communicating that. But again, I gotta say, prob no, not probably, definitely just. A bit much and it, it it did kind of impact my enjoyment of this last part and you know i wasn't around in 1977 so i can't speak to how things were but it wouldn't shock me if if a lot of people were much more blase with their their hate speech usage back then because you know civil rights was only just a decade prior so that i imagine that there were still a lot of open racists in 1977 i i don't know i'm just kind of guessing but um yeah it's uh man it's a tough read i'll, I'll put it that the, some of those things are just it, they really throw you and it's yeah i don't think it was it was really necessary it's um, it's one of those things where you really kind of get a picture of just how an entire group of people were just completely subjected to at, at the bare minimum verbal abuse on such an inhuman level and it's like jesus christ man like yikes dude yeah it it's it, it um it was pretty terrible yeah it is uh it is rightfully regarded as you know one of the the, the great sins of mankind like the the treatment of uh of black people in america for basically the entire existence yeah. of america as both an idea or even as a colony yeah so i i hope that i hope that the point that stephen king was trying to make in it i think it was misguided but i i would hope that if he was trying to make a point with that it was that look how evil this thing is by being this kind by saying these things uh i hope that was his point but i still think he he he, he it was misguided like i said but you know, it was 1977. I'm not trying to hand wave it. I'm just my point is that you can't look at 1977 through the lens of insert current year here because you're always going to look at it and be disappointed because that's just how progression in society works. When you look back, hopefully you will be appalled because of how much better things have gotten since then. So Yeah, I just I don't know. It's tough for me to just to 
I don't know. It just it feels like it was excessive, even for the time. I agree. Anyway, I we I, I don't mean to like t- turn it into all of that. It's just that is, but that is something that uh, I did want to talk about as well. But uh, well, there was one thing that that we I think that uh, also in the, this Halloran part uh, when he was when he was reflecting on uh, the the ghost of uh, of uh, Mrs. Massey. Like he was, he was like he was either on his way driving or getting ready to drive when he remembered. Um, what was her name? Dolores Vickery, I want to say. Are you talking about um, the the she, chick that that saw her? Yeah, she was made at the at the Overlook. Um, essentially, yeah, she was the first person that saw um, the the ghost slash corpse of Mrs. Massey, and. Uh, it understandably freaked her out and uh she was she kind of had a bit of a breakdown and she kind of left the room and was telling everybody about the maids uh guests you know what have you and um allman found out as as he is wants to do he fires her <laughs> and uh you know she as she's leaving she mentions to halloran that that uh that she saw that she saw the corpse and Halloran is like, well, no, I mean that she's already been removed. But he kind of, he kind of like, kind of puts it in the back of his mind. But he kind of, as he thinks about it, he's like, well, she does have a little bit of the shine, and so maybe I'm gonna go look into that. Um, so he, so he goes into it that goes into the room that night, and uh, you know he's he's kind of looking around, and he. Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to remember what what was some of the thing. I did he not? No, he did see the corpse. I I was just I was just confusing that because I remember also there was a bit where he was he was talking about how he's he'd heard some of the the like the costume party sounds and I know he'd seen like the hedge stuff. So yeah, but I, anyway, he anyway he he sees the corpse and. Uh, basically the she like comes up out of the tub and she's she smiles at him and with it with her very like decomposed face and she's like chasing him around and and, you know before he was able to to get away um and so now he, he feels like extremely guilty in this moment like how could i have left you know danny especially alone with with his shine ability in the hotel Oh, and uh, yeah, yeah. So they 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 kind of seed something here. They kind of it was it's it's interesting. Um, I thought this was going to be something that was uh, almost a little too on the nose. But one of the things that he does before he leaves and goes to do all this is he gets his will updated, and uh, he he uh, gets he he gets that ready to go. And I think he like puts it in place uh, just before he leaves. And so I was, I was a little bit, um, like, uh, that's kind of, that's, that's a little hack there to, 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 to foreshadow it that much. But, um, I guess we'll see how that turns out. Yeah. He makes it to the airport. Yeah. And then, oh, okay. Yeah. So before I forget, he calls, uh, at the airport after he missed his flight, he called the Rangers in Colorado and was like, Hey, there's something going on in the overlook. Uh, you got to send somebody up there and the guy's just like we got lost climbers in the mountain no we're too busy 
it doesn't matter they have a radio it's probably fine you're over worrying shut up yeah that was the what was interesting though is that um they they they, they at first they almost take him seriously like they they try to call they actually try to put out a call over the cb to try to raise them at, at the overlook but um and he calls he calls the rangers on that he's like while well, you had me on hold i bet you know that's what you were doing right and then the guy just like he just doesn't answer so it's just it, it that's very interesting there it was like i i i feel like if something that were something that were to happen and i was the ranger on duty i would feel like i would need to at least at least do some follow-up later if not that that same like that very minute I, I feel like i would try them a couple more times before the end of my shift yeah yeah and if they they don't they don't have and if they didn't answer by the next day i feel like that would be like a good good idea to be like okay well we don't really know what what the deal is with this guy but we we might need to start getting something together but i was uh you know obviously you in the story in these stories you you really have to have the sort of like blase and uncaring um uh bureaucracy um although i'm sure that there is there is probably a lot of reality in that but it is it's always um those are always very good moments for like building tension is just like this have 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 a very clear and defined like goal or need and like leaving it behind some guy who's like yeah no <laughs> not no we're not we're not worried about that you you need to stop wasting our time you know it's it's that's it's a really good device to like build tension yeah so he he eventually like i say gets on his plane and he meets the the woman that uh, is just really more interested in her book than anything else, and he flies to Colorado. And there's a rough patch of turbulence, and people are freaking out. But uh, they get through it. They have a relatively rough landing, but it's fine. And he makes it into Colorado finally. And yep, he he has a little like possible shine moment with the woman that he sat next to as he leaves to go get his rental car which is a nice little moment but yeah he's he's it, it took it took a little bit of um effort and there were a lot of issues in the way but um dick halloran is in colorado so we'll see what happens there meanwhile back at the overlook uh things aren't going very good for the torrance family Wendy comes upon Danny, and he's just kind of chilling, singing to himself. He's got a bloody lip, and his mom's a little worried, and he's like, oh, no, I did it to myself. Don't worry. Dad didn't do this to me. And they're just kind of talking, and she's at, she asks him about Tony and if Tony can help them, and he's like, oh, Tony hasn't been... I haven't been able to call Tony in a while. So, <laughs> kind of on our own here. And Wendy... Yeah, he says that, that they they being the manifestations in the of the overlook hotel will not let him talk to tony like they're blocking tony somehow yeah and uh wendy is i think she has an idea as to what has happened 
with Jack at this point. So she is, um, she's kind of preparing for the worst. And so, like, after the little conversation, she, uh, she gets a knife and she kind of hides it so that she has that kind of extra protection. She's like, wraps it in a towel and I think she, like, ends up putting it under her pillow or something. Uh, yeah, meanwhile, Jack is, boy, he's, he's kind of losing it. By this point, if this is something that, that, uh, King kind of gets to that I, I, I wonder about that I'm not, like, like, overly a fan of, but I can kind of, there's, there's some aspect to it that is kind of interesting, but I, I, I don't like entirely how they kind of almost let Jack off the hook to a certain extent. They're like, oh, well, he was just completely taken over uh, by the hotel and he was just doing everything the hotel wanted him to do. I think that sort of like undercuts like who Jack actually was as a person who he already was a like a, a person that was predisposed to aggression uh, and violence and and anger. I, I think this the it kind of lets him off um, here by kind of creating kind of moving him into this stage where he's kind of um, I don't know almost like a, a drone at this point. If that makes sense. I mean, I I don't know. I, I can kind of buy into the the hotel. Uh, I, I think really what it is, is I do think that, I, well, this this becomes a lot more present at the end, but I, I think, at least right now, what the hotel is doing is it's taking his negativity, his, his toxic and horrible traits, and really amplifying them, because, I mean, Jack wasn't a good person before, let's not pretend he was, I wouldn't say he was evil, I don't think he was evil, but I don't think he's a good person at the same time. So yeah, I, I I think the hotel has warped him to make him be go from a a bad father and a bad husband and a shameful man into an evil man. I I do think that is what has happened. Like he, he I um because I don't think he would ever... I mean, he feels a lot of regret for everything that he's done to Danny. Uh, everything being breaking his arm. Uh, and he feels... Generally... Love for Wendy and Danny. And, you know, he, everything he did initially was for them. But I think the turn... You can kind of notice this early on when they get to the Overlook. I think the the kind of... the The rot had started to set in as soon as they got there just slowly and slowly until it was too late but um a lot of his really unless i'm forgetting something a lot of his really bad snaps his mental thoughts that were a lot more than just anger or frustration came after they got to the overlook so I think it started working on him immediately because I think I think the Overlook sensed that weakness and really started to chip away at it from day one, and that I think has led us to the Jack Torrance that we have at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's fair. 
and there's there's maybe some other interesting ideas about where, where you could go with it it's just um he definitely does experience some sort of like mental degeneration though here because like where where we see him he's kind of like going through the boxes for some reason probably to look for more stuff about dirt on the the uh, overlook or whatever but he uh he but he's actually what ignoring that the boiler um and that he hasn't checked it in a long long time so he he's kind of like almost like wakes up for lack of a better word and then he goes to go while he's down there and he looks and he sees the boiler is at uh i want to say 200 over 200 psi and uh that he he like has like a little a little bit of like the the his mind the little bit of his mind that's left remembers that watson said that he wouldn't even stand next to it when it's at uh 180 and there's a little bit of him possibly the part of him that that might be resisting the hotel's domination i would argue um, this is the little bit of of jack torrance still in there yeah like he's there's a part of him that's that considers just letting it go and and destroying the hotel um and uh you know thinking that you know there's a good chance uh wendy and danny will be able to get out but and and he also thinks about i think in this moment it's he thinks about the i think there's a life insurance policy on him and um you know he would be it, it would also pay out double because he would be dying uh because of the nature of the accident the double indemnity or whatever um so he he's just kind of sitting there and thinking about that and he's just just kind of like dissociating in front of it and then i think he has is this the part where he thinks about the wasp's nest again him sticking his hand into it again kind of it's it's like um it's when he's he's uh about he was remembering when his father was like smoking the wasps oh it might it might be at this point yeah 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 because he's looking at it like hovering over it thinking about turning it then he stops for a minute and gets lost in that thought then he after that's when he he activates the uh the steam cooling yeah i think i think that's what so anyway he he has like a flashback to his youth where where his dad um is telling him something like fire will will kill anything um because he's having this memory of his father smoking the wasps out with like a with like i don't know it was like was it like newspaper or something i don't know anyway he's he's the the point is it, it it's uh it kind of like brings him back into his darker self um which is i think his father is like and 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 the emulation of his father is kind of like the uh the the sort of shadow self within him anyway he eventually he kind of like gets gets kind of back back to reality so to say and uh then he's he's going back into his like oh i have to protect the hotel the hotel is the most important thing and he, you know, grabs the uh, he grabs the the valve, the pressure release valve, and he kind of he dumps dumps pressure. Um, but because he's waited so long, like the whole the whole thing has begun to like 
warp like the the heat is warping the the structural integrity excuse me the heat is warping the structural integrity of the boiler itself at this point so as he turns it he burns his hand pretty significantly he gets um i want to say second degree burns i think that's when blisters start forming and yeah. and he basic he uh he gets like blisters on his hand and he's he's kind of back to thinking about how much he he would love a drink in that moment you know again kind of coming back to his like the hotel at every turn sort of like feeding on his darkest impulses and also enabling these dark impulses like the the, the worst the worst aspects of himself so he's like well you know i i prevented the hotel from blowing up so i i think the hotel is trying to give me a, a message and that it wants me to have a drink and so and so that's that's kind of where where we leave Jack there. Yep. And so now, uh, Danny actually shines this happening, and he actually sees uh, the the future that could have happened if Jack was just a few seconds late. He sees him and his mom uh, staring at the overlook from the outside, burning. And his father actually <laughs> blasting out the front door in a in a fiery mass, which is a fun thought. So it's nice to see that if Jack would have messed up and the boiler did explode, Wendy and Danny would have been able to get out on time anyways. But yeah, Danny saw that potential future. <laughs> that is terrifying. But yeah, and so he he continues to probe into Jack to see how Jack is doing. And then, um, in a in an interesting turn of events, the uh, the overlook kicks back and shouts back into Danny's mind, which was a really cool little thing that we get to see. Like, instead of being a little more in the background, the overlook is starting to become front and center in like trying to uh, get its way, so to say, to to manipulate Jack and to to keep Danny down. And all that. Uh, so he decides he's going to go and check on his dad. And he goes out and he goes down the hall. And there's this guy in a dog costume. And he's like threatening. He's threatening Danny. He's like barking at him. And Danny's doing the whole, you're not real. You can't hurt me. That whole spiel. But it doesn't really seem to be working. And he, he just kind of scares Danny back into the room. And uh, he he hope he checks and sees that his mom clearly isn't hearing it. She's she's asleep at this point. And then he goes and peeks around the corner and he sees that the dog guy's still there. And so he's like, "Yeah, the hotel really doesn't want me to interfere." So he uh, he's just basically stuck in the room at this point. But that 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 was such a, a freaky moment. Just just imagining being you know a child that small and there's this weird creep with like a, a dog costume standing in the hallway threatening to eat you it's just that was one of the just the, the that that was one of the most creepy parts of the book for me yeah and so now we get uh if i may be so bold one of the best parts of part five and i would argue also one of the best parts of the book and that's uh, Jack's fall off the wagon. 
and I would say um, the last. Uh, how would I say this? The last gasp of Jack Torrance as a character, kind of. I think that's fair to say. Like after this, after this little sequence, he's less Jack Torrance as we understand him, and more sort of an avatar for like the the anger and vitriol and evil that is the hotel. Yeah. So he he gets back into the bar, and uh, he's 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 hearing things. And he goes into the bar, and it's full. There's people, tables, parties. It's it's everybody from every era of the Overlook's history. Lloyd is there. He's actually, well, quote-unquote actually here. In the sense that the overview has now made Lloyd, instead of it just being Jack playing his little games with himself. And he sits down at the bar. He's like, Lloyd, my man... Give me them martinis. And Jack starts getting drunk. Full on, because I guess the power of the Overlook extends to full on creating alcohol at this point. Which is not really a reach if you want to believe, like I believe, that they created the wasp nest in part 3. And, you know, the hedge animals attacking and moving. And you know, it's not really out of the realm of possibility at this point that it's suddenly been able to fashion up alcohol. Or, at the very least, if it's not actually been creating real alcohol, or real enough to, to work on Jack, it's done some sort of weird magic that has caused Jack to become drunk anyways by the end of this. I think it's just easier to say it created gin and made martinis and he's drinking the real thing or at least as close to it as an evil malicious magic hotel can well not to jump ahead too far but i do remember uh wendy being able to smell it on him so i i somehow it managed to conjure up the real thing well the thing about that is is yeah she smells it and she sees that all of the taps are bone dry but she can smell and feel that they aren't despite the fact that they are so i i feel like it's a it's an almost kind of in between reality and unreality kind of thing to where it's like it's real but it's maybe only real to an extent to where it's not wholly manifest but it's also not unreal either if that i I don't know schrodinger's chin folks yeah, I guess. But yeah, he's he's just he's getting absolutely trashed at this point. He's he's drinking God knows how many. Uh, he's looking at the all the different people that are there, and there's um, Derwent is there, and he's playing with the dog man, who is I guess his servant. And uh, yeah, just sloshing drinks back and forth. Uh, schmoozing with the party goers at one point he's dancing with this woman who turns out was there with Derwent and uh, he has some unpure thoughts about her if you'll allow the grotesque thoughts um, and yeah it's uh, he's just kind of 
going along to the party, getting drunk, not really knowing what's going on, losing track of time, losing track of time and space, really. He's just kind of become Billy Pilgrim at this point. And he eventually finds himself with uh was it was it, is he like a bus boy he's like serving drinks what what is he a janitor or what 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 is the official role be do you think uh like the guy that was pushing the drink cart yeah that was just someone that was that, that i don't know that probably just like a it probably would just be called a waiter of some kind, you know, just because uh, catered at certain catered events, they'll have guys or or women, you know, or people that that push that will push carts around. They they basically their 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 whole role is to like move drinks, kind of keep it circulating throughout the uh, throughout an event or food. But specifically in this this context, it's just a person taking drinks around. Yeah, so he comes upon this person who offers him another drink. And they're talking, and it turns out this person is Grady, the previous caretaker. And Jack's like, wait a minute, you were the previous caretaker. And he's like, no, Mr. Torrance, you've always been the caretaker. And it's like, ooh, it's like that it's like that scene in the movie that came out after the book. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're talking, he's like, yeah, you've always been the caretaker. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, the manager, uh, he really... He really likes the cut of your jib, and you have what it takes. But there's one thing that's stopping you from moving up in the in the overlook, and that is your wife and son. They've been holding you back. They've been bringing you down. They have been treating you poorly. They have been lying and cheating and manipulating you and, and disobeying you at every turn. And you're the father. You're the man. It is your job. It is your job duty to keep them in line to make sure that they do what you say because you are the man of the house and he's like wait a minute you killed your your, your family and then you killed yourself and he's like no i did not my wife I is there corrected them yeah he's like my wife is here and my daughters are asleep i corrected them they were out of line and i handled it and you need to do the same do you get my meaning he's like yeah i will do it then sure i want to be the manager of the overlook because this place is great and he's like, yes. Who wants to be Mr. Manager? Yeah, we, we just call it Manager. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's uh, Grady's like, we have the information you seek, the, what you've been looking for, uh, that one missing piece that will put the puzzle together and you will write your book. We have it and we will give it to you, but you must first correct your wife and son. And Jack's just like, yes, yes, give it to me. And he's just kind of this is this is the um this is the saying yes to the devil, so to say. Accepting accepting the devil. Um if you wanna go into the whole possession um mindset of it, this is this is him accepting the devil. This is the equivalent of that. And he's getting trash drunk and uh yeah, he has this this meeting with Grady and Grady's basically showing him the kill your family show. And he's buying right into it, and he's like, he's getting all of this ambition, all of this, all of this power promised to him, and it's finally boiling over. And he's like, I will do it, yes. And then, um, how does he break out of it? How does he suddenly get back to reality? I think, I think that's that's when the there's the 
unmask unmask you know the 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 in the in the um semi oh yeah yeah, yeah, of, yeah. The, of the uh of the apparitions they it's the clock they, yeah the clock hits midnight and derwent um was is yelling telling the crowd to unmask and then they they kind of everybody's cheering and they're unmasking but he he kind of keys in on this clock um this sort of this sort of a I don't know a cuckoo clock of sorts and as it gets to the um as it gets to to that time and it's chiming there there a figure of a father and a son kind of come out of the clock and the father basically <laughs> essentially beats the son to death with a roke mallet um and that's the like the son the the son figure is like bleeding and stuff so he's kind of like shocked by this almost and then he's just like what but clocks can't bleed and then he as he's kind of like thinking about it he just he kind of like that's when he kind of snaps it back to himself somewhat and he kind of looks around he sees the ballroom is empty and he's he's starting to feel drunk yeah so he like he bursts back in and he sees the full the fully stocked shelves and he's like i want more alcohol woo and he he kind of like stumbles over the bar and then he, he falls and he knocks himself out and yeah jack jack is off the wagon and like man like like i like i kind of alluded to earlier this this might be one of my favorite sections of the book this was such a great sequence just the the jack fully embracing the hotel uh the vivid imagery of the party and the, the the mixing of the of the eras and just the 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 grady conversation is just so well done and just yeah, there's there's cool a lot of cool moments where like like he'll look away and then he'll look back and people will be like dressed in a different era like it'll be people in the 1920s he'll look back i, I think this was specifically when he was dancing with the woman and then he would look back and they were dressed for like the 40s look away look back they're dressed like early 1900s i don't know it, it was just it was actually it was actually a really well done and really interesting segment yeah yeah so it was it's definitely one of my favorites in the book and yeah so now we're back to to danny danny and wendy and wendy has woken up they had been asleep for most of the day it's now evening nighttime ish and she thinks to herself you know she's scared of jack she knows that jack is a threat that Jack may not even be Jack anymore, and she has that knife, um, but she thinks to herself, "We can't hide up here for the next four months," and and you know, we I have to you know have to kind of confront this a little bit. But she's hungry and she's gonna go make food for her and Danny. But she takes the knife with her anyways, and she goes down. She can't find Jack anywhere. She makes some some food, some omelets and soup, and then she sets before going back upstairs. She gets like a kind of feeling and she goes into the bar and it just reeks of alcohol she smells it everywhere uh, she finds jack he reeks of alcohol and she's she's confused and scared like how did this happen there's there's no alcohol here there's no way um and so she kind of like wakes him up because she's wanting to like get him get him in bed kind of because she's more worried about him than anything else but then uh oh he grabs her and he's trying to hurt her and he's like oh you bitch uh you you you've turned against me 
Ah, uh, you're evil. You've you've been ruining me. Ah, uh, and now we get not Jack at this point. He has been fully taken over by the hotel, and now he is on the murder path. the 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 switch has been flipped, and now we are finally starting the dreams that Danny has been having for the entire book, and so he's. Uh, starts attacking Wendy. He's choking her out. He's like really throttling her, and she can't really do much about it. And uh, she can't even she forgets about the knife completely. But then Danny comes down and attacks Jack. Jack slings him off, knocks him down, and then that that momentary lapse where he has to take his his right hand off of her gives Wendy enough strength to grab one of the. The bottle candles that are on uh, it's like candles that were put into wine bottles because you know it's it's chic it adds to the feng shui uh she grabs that and she clocks him in the head with it and that knocks him out so now her and danny are trying to uh wendy's like oh no this is this it's not okay we gotta we gotta do something but she, her plan is to lock him in the pantry because you know that way he'll have food when he wakes up and they just need to—they need to have him contained. And as Danny puts it, you know, it's like 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 being in jail. And so they have to do that. But you know, the pantry's the best place because one, it'll uh, it'll contain him. But then for another, he'll have food, so it won't be like you know they're starving him or anything. So they get him in there, and he he starts waking up as they get him in there. And Wendy and Danny are able to only just get the door shut and locked before he uh, is fully back up and aware and coming at them. So they have him locked in the pantry, and they go back up, and they kind of hide again in their room and uh, go back to sleep again, <laughs> I guess. It's, it's sometime later now at this point, and Wendy wakes up, and she just has this feeling... Uh, she's hungry for one, and she's like, "I can go save that soup. the 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 omelets are no good, but I can always just reheat heat the soup with the little stovetop, uh, grill oven thing that they have in the room." Um, but she also has this this sinking feeling that Jack has escaped. Meanwhile, in the pantry, uh, Jack was banging and pounding and shouting and yelling and cursing and all of this, but eventually it all stopped. Um, and Wendy also was hearing or she thought she was hearing sounds from the hotel, like the party and all of that during all of this. And eventually all of it stopped. And that's what scared her the most. Um, and that's why she eventually thinks that he got out somehow because of the silence, but he's been sitting down there just snacking on some Triscuits because <laughs> what else is there to do? I guess. And, uh, Grady is on the other side of the door and he's like, Hey Jack, uh, we're not really happy with your performance here. Uh, this isn't managerial material that you've been showing. This is, this is not great. Uh, and Jack's like, I can do it. Ah, oh, she, she, uh, she kind of like, you know, it's it was a fluke. I'll take care of her. I'll take care of her. And they're like, oh, no, I don't know, man. Maybe we should have gone after her instead, because you know, you're really, you're really screwing the pooch here. And he's like, no, I got this. You gotta just, just let me out, and I'll take care of it. So Grady unlocks the door and opens it, and. He sees him, and he's sitting there holding the the rope mallet, and he gives it to Jack, and he's like, you know what to do? And he's like, yes, I do. And so now Wendy's coming down, and uh, 
She's got the knife with her. And she's going to go check on Jack as well as get the food that she made earlier. But then Jack's out. And there he is. And now we finally get the big final showdown. Ooh! And Jack is like, he's got this like malicious grin on his face. He doesn't, I mean, it's him, it looks like him, but it doesn't look like him. It's like a mask has been put on, on him as well. And he's coming at Wendy and she's not ready for it. And he's, she's trying to get away, but he's a little faster than her. So he gets her right in the side with the mallet and it breaks her ribs. And that, that's that's bad on a lot of levels. <laughs> but then he's uh so yeah, he's, he's trying to get her uh again, he like grazes her ear and it like breaks the skin. And she's trying to fight back. And then uh she's able to uh like dodge forward eventually as he's coming down and she stabs him in the back with the knife. But and it it kind of or actually, before that, I think he also hits her, like, he gets her right in the leg. And probably breaks her leg, I'm not sure, but it's it's real bad for one. But yeah, she stabs him in the back, and that uh, kind of downs him. And so she thinks that she might have gotten him, and she might have killed him, and, you know, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a thing. And she's trying to make her way back up the stairs, but then he gets back up. And he's coming at her, and he's like, you killed me, you bitch! And he's now trying to slowly come at her as well. And I'm going to leave it there for now. Let's go back to Halloran. So Halloran has now made it to Colorado. He's got his rental vehicle. And now he's trying to make it to Sidewinder as fast as possible. The storm is brewing. It's real bad. He's he's having to like really fight with weather and Mother Nature itself just to get to, to Sidewinder. And he's having a lot of close calls. The radio is just kind of trolling him a little bit. Like, oh, don't go outside. There's already been some deaths in the weather because of it. And eventually, uh, he almost uh, hits a, a snowplow head on. He veers off and he goes off the road. And the guy in the snowplow comes out and he's like, hey, everything okay? He's, you know, you shouldn't be out here. It's real bad. And he's like, yeah, I got, I got a lot of stuff. that This is an emergency. I got to take care of this. Can you just, you know, get my car back on the road? And he's like, yeah, sure thing, fella. And he, he gets him back on the road and he comes back over and he's like, hey, you know, you're going to need some mittens here. My my wife handmade these for me. Uh, also, hey, when you get to Sidewinder, uh, go to the um, the place where you rent snowmobiles. Tell him that Howie sent you. Show him the gloves if you need to so he knows it's me. Uh, good luck, partner. Uh, I'd take you myself, but I got shit to do. Uh, see you around. And Halloran has this realization that this dude also has a bit of a shine. He's like, wow, uh, two, two people with the shine in the same day. That, that can't be a good omen. And so he's, he keeps going on and he, he eventually makes it to Sidewinder. It's really treacherous. Uh, once again, the weather is just crazy. It's, it's, he's having to be super careful. He's, he's almost careened off, uh, into the empty abyss of the Colorado Rockies and, he finally makes it to Sidewinder. It's taken a really long time. He just catches the dude as he's leaving his his place of business. And he's just like, hey, how he sent me? He shows him the gloves. And then the guy kind of softens up to him. And he's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'll let you I'll let you rent the snowmobile. He gives him the snowmobile, gives him some gas. He's like, yeah, Howie seems to always know when things are bad. So I'll you know, take your word for it. 
um, gives him he, he makes him trade his jo- his his coat. He's like, you're not gonna make it with that little overcoat you're wearing here. Take my parka. He gives him a ski mask, kind of like give him about as ready for the the trip up to to the overlook as he can. And he's like, all right, man, good luck. Uh, you can give me all this stuff back when you come back. So I'll you know you know uh, be careful. And so Halloran is making his way up the the mountain pass to the overlook, and it's kind of kind of steady going. Uh, he almost has a couple of accidents here and there again as he's kind of getting lost in thought, thinking about, you know, things and whatnot. And um, as he is coming close to the overlook, he almost hits something in the road, and it kind of careens him, and he falls off, and the the jet ski gets knocked over. The snowmobile, rather. The jet ski, yeah, sure. Uh, the snowmobile gets knocked over, and it turns out it's one of the, one of the lions from the... Uh, from the hedge and it is now attacking him and yeah he's getting mauled by it it's a real fight it's a one-sided fight and he's trying to make his way back to the snowmobile but the the lion is just really having its way with him and so now let's move back over to the torrances so yeah wendy she's trying to escape jack she's crawling up the stairs jack is crawling after her he's got a knife in the back he's not doing too good either but he's somehow still alive and so she's trying to escape, and then he just he just gets her right in between the shoulder blades with the mallet, which is just brutal. And she's not sure if she can even move anymore, but she still finds a way. She's just in, in bad shape. And so she finally eventually gets into the, the room. She sees the door was open, and now she's worried about Danny. Uh, she gets in there, and she's able to only just shut and lock the room. And now Jack's trying to pound it down with the, with the mallet. And it turns out Danny's gone. So now she's kind of. I gotta say, this is this is one of the sequences that are a lot more effective in the movie than in the book. Um, just the idea of using of of bashing through with like a a silly mallet for like a some stupid fop game. That's that that's not as cool as as Brett busting as uh, Jack Nicholson busting down a door with an axe. Yeah, yeah. The the it being an axe in the movie definitely adds a little bit of um tension because you know you can't if if he would have hit her just the first time that he hits her with the roke mallet in the side to break her ribs if he would have hit her with the axe it would have been game over so the the axe in the movie does make it a lot more deadly but i do think the roke mallet in the book adds a lot more tension because King is able to actually get some real damage done on Wendy to up the stakes, to up the up the, the tension to the whole thing. I guess that's true. It's just the idea of him busting, trying to bust out the door with like a mallet versus an axe. It's just, I, I, I'll put it this way. I understand why, I understand what you said. I think there's, a, there's probably a lot of truth to that. But like, maybe, maybe it's because it's the visual of it but the visual of a guy breaking down a door with an axe is a lot more intimidating and a lot more impressive mentally than you know hitting it hitting a door with like a glorified uh uh, croquet mallet yeah uh yeah he's trying to bust it down and she's looking for danny and she can't find him and he's finally busting through and she has to retreat into the bathroom, and she locks the, the, the bathroom door behind her just as he's getting in there. Uh, and now he's starting to thrash around the room, and then he starts um, 
busting down her door and she's trying to find anything that she can use. And then she remembers the medicine cabinet and she's going through and she finally finds some razor blades. She kind of cuts herself a few times, but his hand is now coming through trying to un- unbolt the door and she's slashing at him and slashing at his hands and whatnot. And he's about to bust in. He's like, the book's equivalent of the here's Johnny scene happens, but it's, it's him being like, he's like, ah, oh, there's nowhere for you to go now. You cunt. It's which is not near as effective as here's Johnny, but that was an on the spot improvisation by Jack Nicholson. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Yeah. I mean, a lot of credit to, to Stephen King. He's, you know, great writer, you know, but like when it comes to like, you're not going to be like a, like a Jack Nicholson or, you know, especially a Jack Nicholson, but any kind of like actor of that caliber in terms of like that, just like in the moment, you know what? What does this character say? Kind of thing. You're, you're not. You're. You're gonna lose that nine out of ten times. Yeah. And so, meanwhile, Halloran, he's finally made it back to the snowmobile. He's getting real beat up by the the hedge lion, and he gets the can of gasoline and he splashes it over it. He gets a little on himself and he pulls out his lighter and he lights he lights it up, but it catches his arm on fire and he uses that to essentially punch into the lion and burn it and he plunges his, his hand in the snow to 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 put it out thankfully no burns just kind of scorching on his hand and and uh sleeve but a little sooty is all no no real burns but he's able to take that out and he's able to get on the snowmobile he's able to finally make it to the overlook but once he gets through the gates uh he sees the rest of the the hedge creatures are basically posted up uh, in front of the entrance to try and stop him, and he guns it. If he forces the dog to jump out of the way, and he skids it like does like a power slide and leaps off onto the stairs and makes it inside the hotel. Meanwhile, Jack is getting slashed and he's trying to bust in to come in, but then they both, him and Wendy, hear the motor coming in of of uh, Halloran getting there, and Jack curses and he goes and he leaves. Because he's got to take care of that now. Because that's now his most pressing concern. Um, Wendy, thinking that Jack might just be hiding, she comes out because she's like, I still got to look for Danny anyways. Jack's gone. And she ends up just, finally her injuries kind of take hold. And she falls down into the bed and passes out. So now Halloran, he's inside. And um, he's shouting out for Danny. He sees the blood on the stairs from Jack and, uh, and Wendy. And he's like, oh, God, am I too late? And he goes up the stairs. He's, like, calling out for Danny. And now Jack is hiding. Now Jack pops out. And he gets him on the top of the head and knocks him down. And then he slams him on the side of the head, right, like, shattering his cheekbone and taking Halloran out for all intents and purposes. Which, I gotta say, I was real disappointed that, just like the movie, Halloran gets there and is immediately taken out of the game. But thankfully... (laughs) It's not some cheap bullshit that Kubrick pulls where he just immediately gets axed to the chest and dies. Yeah, I was I was actually kind of um that I had that's where I stopped um for when I was reading that portion I was like okay now cuz cuz we had he we had the character, you know, being battered by all this sort of like not to rehash all that but we just talked talked about earlier but like all this sort of like racial abuse and then it seems seemingly immediately dying. I was like, man, 
what a massive uh, misstep by by King here to 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 not only uh, you know racially abuse your your one uh, black character, but also to to kill him off in the the cliche um, killing off the black person to 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 create stakes kind of situation. I was uh, I was thoroughly unimpressed with that at the moment when I when I when I read that the first time. Yeah. But uh yeah, so Halloran's out for the count for now. Um and now Jack is is able to move on to Danny. Meanwhile, Danny has been visited by Tony once again, and Tony has finally come up closer to him for the first time ever, and he's walked up and Danny sees him and Danny sees that Tony is a ten years older version of himself. And we learn <laughs> that Danny's middle name is Anthony. It's like, ah, okay. Kind of a shocker that none of the characters put that together prior to the reader being shown this. So, you know, you think his parents would be like, oh, you have a friend named Tony. Your middle name is Tony. That's kind of weird. Anyways. Almost, you know, I got to say, it almost makes the doctor correct in retrospect. It was such a weird decision. Yeah. You know, it's like that. that, that, that was a, a very strange choice. I mean... I guess th- there could be. I'm sure there's if you if we, especially if we were to read Doctor Sleep, I'm sure there's interesting explanation uh, there where you know you have like the older version of Danny being able to talk to him, but like in the moment, it's just it's it's it, it was an underwhelming reveal. Yeah, and so Tony is basically kind of showing him once again the things that are about to come with Jack. Uh, He's also telling him uh, the key to this is to remember what your father forgot. And he kind of leaves him, and Tony is now outside of the presidential suite. I'm sorry, Tony. Danny. I'm not, I'm not wrong either way. Uh, Danny. Sorry, can I, can I, can I, just, I want to jump in one more time. It also kind of undercuts, like, the whole why is he kind of, like, weird and elusive kind of situation. Like, there, there's no reason why you if you were talking to a past version of yourself you wouldn't you wouldn't talk in riddles especially if you were to like you were trying to prevent some sort of like calamity from being visited upon you and your family (laughs) it just the the character of tony at least here to form again maybe if we we ever do dr sleep we'll we'll get some context here but it just it feels like i don't know it's just it just it just doesn't work and i think that's one of the reasons why yeah and so so now danny is he's outside the presidential suite and he he hears jack coming up the elevator and so he's starting to run and he he remembers there's a place he can go and it's the attic and he's like yeah he's he has seen the attic when his dad had gone up there to place the traps and so and but it's also a dead end and he makes it all the way over there there's like there's like a little pole with a hook on the end that you use to bring down the door and then that drops down a ladder and then you can climb up into the attic and so he gets over there he grabs the pole but then he learns that there's a padlock on the door itself which i can only imagine jack had to get a ladder in order to put on which then the logistics of that means that if jack needed to get into the attic for whatever reason he would have to go get a ladder bring it up to the third floor, set it up, go unlock the padlock, open the door, which will bring down another ladder 
and then climb up into the attic with that ladder. I, I understand it, but that's just that just is so many steps just to get into the attic when he could have just hidden the pole instead. So because the reason he did the padlock is so that Danny wouldn't go exploring, you know, that disobedient child. But if you would have just hidden the pole instead, it I feel like that would have made a lot more sense instead of just leaving it in the hall. I, I don't know. Kind of a weird thing. Yeah, that was that was a little weird. I I had to, I kind of was puzzling through that when I when I read that as well. Yeah, and also as Danny has been making his way down the halls, uh, he was uh, he had encountered a couple of the apparitions from the from the hotel, and he would say, "False face, uh, you can't harm me." And it was, I, I don't know why this worked all of a sudden, but it worked, and they'd be like, "Ah," oh, like they'd been struck, and then they would just disappear. You know, I, I was I was wondering, did I miss something? When did, where did that expression, the the false face, when did that where did that come from? I'm not was sure. Was that something that's because he started using it like a, like it was a thing, and I it feels like it was something that that he's like it, it almost feels like he so like he I thought I'd missed something during the Tony section where where Tony was like, oh, there are false faces or something like that because he keeps using that phrase and it was very strange. Yeah, I, I don't remember if that was something that was established earlier or not either. So, I, I I don't know. But yeah, so he's he can't make it up to the attic, and now he's basically just waiting. And eventually, Jack rounds the corner, and he's like, "Ah ha ha!" And it's now uh, you gotta. It's time. It's your time. Ooh, and Danny is just like, "No, you're you're not my daddy. You're a false face. You're a liar." And it's kind of like, it stops him for a second, and he's just like, well, no, I'm not. Ah, and he comes and he slams the, the mallet down right in between Danny's legs, and Danny doesn't flinch. And he we kind of get this, this, this scene where Danny is kind of having a back and forth with Jack, or rather, quote-unquote Jack. And um, he's just like, you're not my daddy, uh you're 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 just you've taken over and, and but you're, you're wearing a false face you're a liar and then it, it's like uh no no you uh the, the the hotel it promised me and danny's like it promised you but it lies and he eventually is able to kind of i guess break through a little bit and uh it ends up dropping the mallet and for the last time I, i'm gonna say for the last time ever jack torrance comes back and he tells danny to run and danny's like no it's almost over and he kisses his hand and that was jack's last last moments was him telling trying to protect his son and that's why i think that jack torrance is not an evil person just not a good person and the hotel just cranked up all of his bad tendencies to 11 with its its influence and its force and eventually through this 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 manipulation and this slow corruption was able to eventually take control of him completely and that's why I, I i kind of feel like jack torrance is a little bit of a victim in this in this book as well and i do well, think that while, he never would have done this while we've been on the line here i've been kind of thinking about this since we kind of brought it up there a little bit ago and i think there might be a little bit of a case to be made about 
this not necessarily and this is not something that exonerates Jack in it by any means but it it could kind of I don't know this book may be making a commentary here on like the, the sort of like structural violence and and like the idea of what what these ideas or how to put it people's wills becoming subsumed it by becoming part of something um whether that's like i'm trying to put a find a way to put it into the words to describe it exactly as i'm seeing it in my mind but like you know as jack is is being given these ideas um rather you know from his childhood that he's receiving um and and the things that he's hearing from the hotel is like this idea that he has to subordinate his family you know in the through the direct use of force to sort of like establish that sort of like patriarchal take that sort of patriarchal role um and also hit how this this job specifically um you know taking this job and now now he is kind of becomes obsessed with this idea of of a advancement within uh within the within his role to become the new manager you know when he's talking with the with the hotel itself and you know how it, how it's his his desire to perform in this role of of this of the caretaker you know has caused him to in previous times you know sabotage his own family sabotage himself even there's i don't know maybe there's something there that is like king making a comment on like the 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 roles of of like certain structural things that kind of warp people you know other not the, again not that jack was like a great human being to begin with but it took a a pretty lousy guy and just turned him into a straight up evil guy just because of like having to force him through like these these structures that are that are sort of inherently um corruptive if that makes sense yeah so yeah we get we get our last our 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 last moment of jack torrance in his own body and then now uh wendy is woken up at this point and she staggers out she's trying to find danny hoping it's not too late and she finds halloran she's trying to wake him up and she's able to get him up and they're both thinking uh well rather she's thinking that it's possibly too late they can hear jack stomping around on the third floor after danny and hear him like shouting at him and so they feel like things have kind of taken a turn and then they hear a a a, a shout of triumph and they're like oh no that that's it danny's danny's dead um so meanwhile back up there uh Jack has now taken the mallet and he starts pounding his face in with it, which, boy, what a grotesquerie this is. And so after a bunch of hits and there is nothing that remains of the visage of Jack Torrance left and it has now become a full embodiment of the hotel, Jack Torrance is now completely dead and gone, 100%. And now it's ready to kill Danny. And then Danny finally remembers the thing that his father forgot. And I don't know if you were wondering if it was going to be this like I was. And then when Danny says what it was, I was like, haha, yes. Uh, it's the boiler. 
this whole time, ever since Jack started his own, his whole little bender and the hotel, uh, got him going and finally doing its final takeover of, of Jack, it had been neglecting the boiler. And he's like, you forgot the boiler. My dad forgot the boiler. And so did you, this place is about to blow up and you did it. And that completely stops it. All thoughts about killing Danny are now gone because the priority is it has to go flood the, the boiler because if not, the whole place is going to blow up. It's like, oh, shit. Ah. <laughs> that One thing I really love. This is not this is not an exaggeration. That is pretty much what happens. <laughs> like the, the, the entity is actually like, oh, no, or s- literally something like that. Yeah. We must stop it. It must not happen. No. And one thing I really love about this section is is at this point in time it's no longer king is no longer referring to this character as jack but as it and i i love that it's it's now like king has now completely taken away any misconceptions or any ambiguity on what is in the body of jack torrance and it is now fully the hotel and it's referred to as it great little bit of just of writing there I, i i love it yeah, that was that was a that was a nice little, you know, to to kind of really solidify that in in the reader's mind. Yeah. So, Wendy and uh, Halloran hear the hotel uh, hear the elevator going down, and uh, then they hear Danny coming down the stairs, and Danny communicates with Halloran that the place is about the boilers about to blow up, and they need to get out now. And Halloran's all right. Let, let's go. Let's do this. Uh, but then Danny has to go run and grab because they're they're not ready for the night the uh, the 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 weather outside. So Danny runs back into their room and grabs boots and a jacket for his mom and a a jacket for him. And uh, Halloran grabs them both because he 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 gets a shine as well himself on just how close this is to happening. And he just starts booking it. Meanwhile, it has made it down to the boiler, and he's like, oh no no no, and just grabbing and twisting the knobs. And uh, it starts flushing it, and it starts seeing the knob going, the needle going back down. And I, I love this. It's just like, haha, yes, I did it. I win. I win. Ah! And then it blows up. <laughs> what a great scene. Almost kind of, almost kind of a, an almost slapsticky kind of moment there. Yeah, it reminds me of of Boris in Goldeneye at the end when he's like, I'm invincible, <laughs> and then the the liquid nitrogen pours on him and freezes him in place. <laughs> pretty much yeah uh spoilers for goldeneye by the way a 20 was it 28 year old movie i don't know uh 28 year mid-tier bond film ah come on that's a good one uh, bond itself bond himself is a kind of mid-tier franchise but goldeneye is one yeah. of the good ones okay I'll, I'll give it i'll give it like upper mid but bond as a whole is not not that i think bond as a whole is pretty mid for england james no nah, man, uh, Alex Trevelyan's a great character, and Sean Bean kills it. He's always good, though. Sean Bean is always great. Um, not to, not uh, not to derail, but there there are aspects of like like Sean Bean, like the the live and let die Paul McC- like the, it's not like wholly without redeeming moments, but just just as a whole. Uh, live and let there's die stuff out there. Live and let die was used for the Bond film Live and Let Die, by the way. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I thought you were talking about Goldeneye. No, I, yeah, I was, I was saying, well, I was saying just Bond in general. Ah, oh, like, gotcha, gotcha. Like in the, as a whole, it's pretty mid, but it does have like some pretty good aspects, good performances, good songs, etc. Yeah, 
But anyways, yeah, the, the boiler blew up, and Jack's body was right there at Ground Zero, so it, it, it ended up happening. Uh, uh, the blast, uh, they're, they're just coming out of the front door. Halloran's carrying both of them. The, the, the beasts, the hedge beasts are waiting for them, and it blows them out into the snow. And as the beasts are coming to get them, they start essentially molting or like collapsing into flames or smoldering, whatever. And yeah, the, the hotel is now on fire, the fire spreading. And yeah, there's a lot of, I, I, I can't really remember all of it perfectly, but there's a lot of really great imagery that's being used to describe essentially the evil of the hotel being destroyed slowly in the fire. It's a really great section. I really love the writing here. But yeah, uh, so yeah, it, it's a really great section. Uh, a lot, a lot of you know, I, like I said, I can't really remember a lot of it. So, uh, but yeah, just a really great way to describe the evil being cleansed in fire. Fire kills everything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, they get up and. Uh, Halloran takes them to the the snowmobile they get on. Uh, they're able to get Wendy clothed up a little more. Uh, and he's like, hey, there's some blankets in the shed. Let's go get those. And uh, it'll help because we need them for you guys for the ride down. And he drives around and goes into the shed, grabs the blankets, and he sees that there's a rogue mallet missing. And he's like, oh, I wonder if that's the thing that, that Jack used on me. It could be, it could not be. And then we get this section where it, the last-ditch effort of the hotel to try and take Danny, and it's it's putting all of its remaining power to try and corrupt Halloran in this final moment. And Danny knows it, and he's shouting at, at Halloran to try and get him to come back. Uh, he's, like, terrified. There's a lot of fear in his voice. And Halloran picks up the Roke mallet and is getting ready, and he's thinking, I got he's like, oh, I should I should kill them both. And then I, I'm assuming what happens here is, like, it breaks because of the, the strength failing from the hotel. And he's like, what was I doing with this? Oh, my God. Ah! And he, he's, like, he's scared of what he was just thinking. So he throws the mallet away, comes back that, out. And I, also, I feel like Halloran is just a more decent human being. And also, he doesn't have that same resentment that, like, Jack was, like, he was a very resentful guy, you know? And so, yeah. like, he may have still loved his family, but he was, like, he still had these resentments. Whereas, you know, Dick, he was not encumbered by the resentments, although he knew them for a much shorter time, so less opportunity for that to build up. But also, just was fundamentally a better human being. Yeah. And so he comes out, he gets them wrapped up in blankets, and as as they're leaving, he sees what he thinks is possibly something being expelled and broken up and being lost in the wind which is once again another really cool um piece of imagery that we we see happen and yeah they 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 have now escaped the hotel and are making their way back to sidewinder uh it's a little slow going but then they see off in the distance uh lights from other snowmobiles coming and they eventually get to them and they have now been rescued and the overlook is no more as it has collapsed in on itself and the shed has also taken flame and the overlook and all of its evil can no longer hurt wendy and danny torrance and now all that's left is the epilogue so just as a thought here 
Um, and if this is something that I missed, maybe you can explain it to me. A couple, a couple quick things. So one, one of the thing, the, the big thing off the top. What specifically did the hotel want Danny for? Because it's it's pretty clear, the hotel is you know not necessarily when it's talking to Jack, but it is pretty clear to everybody else that the hotel is trying to take Danny for some reason. What reason is that for? Um. So as I understood it, um, I think it was implied that if it can take Danny, because it takes it takes the spirit, the soul, whatever you want to say, of its victims. Um, if it takes Danny, since Danny is so powerful with his shine, all it could do before was just kind of show images to people, you know, like like the 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 woman in the bathtub with the maid and the presidential suite and all these other things all it could do and i think halloran was right at first with the whole saying it's like pictures in a book you can see it but it can't hurt you and i think danny being there as as wendy kind of alluded to earlier was it was like a he was like um like a superconductor like a battery that was like really charging up the power of the overlook and that's why it was able to do all of these extra things like it could have it could have corrupted i think jack on its own anyways like it did with grady uh, to have Grady kill his family like that, but I think its ability to actually do more um, was because of Danny being there as like a, a beacon of sorts. And so, with it being able to get Danny, it would have control of Danny's powers. And I don't know what it could have done after that, but I think it would have been uh, bad, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> So yeah, I, I yeah the Overlook wanted Danny for his power and what it could do with his power since it was already gaining more power just from be- him being there in the first place. So yeah, yeah, and I I just want to kind of go a little quickly through the epilogue because it's mostly just a where are they now kind of thing. It's the next summer. Uh, Halloran is working at this lodge in Maine. Of course, it's in Maine. Why wouldn't it be in Maine? And he is made sure that when he got hired on, he had a particular uh, cabin lodge, whatever, set aside for the Torrances so that they could stay there. And he goes and he's talking to Wendy. Wendy's recovering, but her back's in a bad way still because they heal, it heals slowly. And she's still in a brace and she still feels pain from it. But she seems to have... It, it, the, the whole experience has aged her. Shocker, I know. Uh, but she seems to be about as in good of a spirit as she can be. And he goes and talks to Danny, and Danny still really just, he's still deeply affected by it too. He misses his father, and he's crying uh, about it with Halloran, like he, Halloran holds him as he cries into him, and he's like, hey kid, you know, you got, uh, it, you shouldn't have to hear this as a six-year-old, but basically, the world doesn't hate you, but it doesn't love you either. Thing, bad things will happen, that's just how it goes. And what you got to do is you got to be stronger than it. And you just got to essentially you got to take the punches and move on that. You just that that's just the way of life. Uh, And he's like, if you need to cry about your dad, cry about your dad, let it all out, because that's the only way you're going to heal from it. And that's kind of really it. Like they have Danny's fishing and they have a little bit where, you know, they have a little banter about that and how, oh, yeah, he's going to catch a pink whale. And then he actually gets a bite and it's possibly a rainbow trout and uh you know, Danny's reeling in the fish, and they have a little moment, and he, he uh... There's, there's kind of a, a big moment here where he's like, Dick, help me pull it in, and then he slaps him on the back, in, in a loving way, and says, I think you're doing just fine yourself. 
you know and that's kind of that kind of is like a little moment to be like yeah show the character he's growing you know yeah and he's strong he he's gonna be able to stand on his own two feet yeah and he had also told danny he's like hey man you know uh oh oh, i I should also mention um uh wendy has accepted a job from al shockley in maryland uh something to do with the chamber of commerce and uh she mentions the insurance money that they got from jack's death and they still have about forty thousand left and that should be enough to get get them settled get danny a college fund going and possibly have him uh get a good start in his adult life afterwards as well uh so shockley has at least still been helping wendy since the incident so i guess i i imagine he he, it it really kind of burned his ass a little bit about the his investment going up in flames literally but uh it hasn't affected him enough so much so that he has completely forsaken wendy and danny in the event of jack's death so good guy al shockley uh credit where it's due yeah um Um last little little bit here that's important he he uh he says something like uh he asks if he could visit visit dick next summer and he you know he says that he he will and he can so i don't know i i just found that to be very touching is like this idea of them becoming a family of sorts you know it's like they they maybe they can't live together all the time but he you know he's still you know there's a, a sort of a, a bond of love and he, he's become like a surrogate father figure uh to him and, and uh, to danny in, in the loss of jack yeah and so that that kind of wraps up the book uh the the torrance family finally kind of gets a break uh things are possibly looking up for them uh despite the fact that uh jack has died but they have a future because of jack because of his insurance policy and um yeah they also have dick halloran uh, up in maine they'll be in maryland and he'll be up in maine and then in florida over the summers probably but um yeah uh about as good of an ending about as happy of an ending as they could have gotten realistically but yeah that's the end of the book yep um yeah on the whole really enjoyed the book i thought it was i thought it was good Yep. It was uh, well written. Yeah, you know, we we we've talked about our, our gripes with it, but generally speaking, really interesting, and it, it held my attention the entire time. Yeah, it was a very good book. I was, I was always excited to to crack it open whenever it was time. Yeah, me too. But yeah, um, any final thoughts on The Shining as a whole? uh not not really i kind of gave my uh, my thought earlier is like this idea that that it's about about there are things about the hotel um obviously it's in the in the world of the shining it is like this corruptive evil entity but i think there is some there is a certain if not literal truth but an emotional truth to you know people who have you know have taken these taken positions and have become part of something that that have just kind of i don't know it's just there's just something there that i i'm i'm going to be thinking about after you know now that we're done with the book about this idea of people becoming corrupted but by their like work associations i feel like that's that's kind of a thing is like sometimes people i mean they're they're like if if how to say this 
you spend people will spend most of their uh, adult uh, waking life, you know, as as part of some sort of in some sort of work endeavor. And there, I think there's something interesting that's being said there about like the about what what that could possibly do to a person, and, you know, in in the wrong environment, or you know, with their the wrong sort of spiritual baggage, I guess, and and vulnerability that uh, that a Jack Torrance has. I don't know. There's just it's kind of half baked. It, it kind of came to me in, in in a more intelligent way, but I'm not able to convey what I kind of thought in that moment in a very in a very clear way. Yeah. I really like the book as a whole. Um I thought it was quite good. Uh I, I think I would put it in my relative to this year thing, I think I'd put it number three behind Leviathan Wakes and Jurassic Park. Uh yeah. It's still pretty high. It is. It absolutely is. I, I really have nothing bad to say about the book. Maybe like a little shortcomings here and there, but that's to be expected with a lot of things. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. Great character writing, uh, great suspense building, uh, really great imagery used throughout the entire book to really kind of really push the horror in. Uh, just a great story overall. I, I loved it a lot. Uh, I, th- I think King, I, I can't say enough good things about King. Just, you know great author great book yeah uh I, i'm gonna give this my my personal ranking on this i i give it a, i'm giving it an eight out of ten for me yeah it's it's a really good book um definitely enjoyed reading it and then definitely enjoyed uh, discussing it with you yep me too but uh, yeah i think that'll get us here for uh this is the the uh, end of the shining um thank you everybody for listening um we'll see you next time happy halloween yep take care